So whenever you're ready. Uh, okay. A father tells his son. Oh, hang on a second. It disappeared. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> oh, Skype. Why don't you ever to keep the text on screen? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Book Retorts. I'm Sam. I'm Danielle. This is the podcast where one of us finds a weird piece of media to share with the other who has not seen or read or know anything about it. So, today I'm excited because we have our first animated feature, which is the movie The Point from 1971. Ooh. Yeah. So, Danielle, you don't know anything about this movie, I'm guessing. <laughs> I, no, I didn't even know what we were doing. <laughs> All right, I'll talk a little bit about my history with it in a moment, but first, I think you should read the entirety of the IMDb description for this movie. So I'm going to send that to you right now. Excellent. So whenever you're ready. So it says, a father tells the son a bedtime story about young Oplio, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Mike Lookinland, I assume is the actor, no, yes. voice actor, who believes that having no point in the fantastical kingdom of pointed heads and things still has a point. What? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can read that again if you want to. There's not a lot there, but I guarantee it won't make any more sense. No, I feel like I need to read that out loud again. Please do. Oh, please do. (laughs) A father tells his son a bedtime story about young Oblio who believes that having no point in the fantastical kingdom of pointed heads and things still has a point. So he has no point. We'll get into that, because that's basically the entire movie. (laughs) But it still has a point. My brain, it was like the heart monitors after I finished reading that. My brain went, eh. What does that mean? (laughs) That's fair. And if you're in the mood for wordplay on the word point, boy, you came to the right movie. Excellent. I was just thinking, I really need some wordplay on the word point. Oh, good. I'm so glad I could provide that service (laughs) to you, Danielle. How did you know? So I actually used to watch this movie all the time as a kid. My parents would show it to me and my brother, and I don't know what his feelings about it were, but it lodged itself in my brain. I don't think I've seen it in decades, since I was like three or four, maybe five or six, something like that. Mm -hmm. But somehow, just little parts of it were seared into my brain, and I could not get them out. And I decided for the first time since then to rewatch it, to try to share some of that weirdness with the world and see if it was actually as weird as I remembered. And I got to say, my child brain filtered it. It is much weirder (laughs) than I remember it being. I feel like we all have one of those movies. Yeah, exactly. This is is that. And it's a good movie. I think it's a good movie, but it's weird. And I think that children's movies in general are a little weird, especially from the 70s, 60s, 70s. You know, that era seems like a good time for weird movies. For children, mm-hmm. just because I'm an adult looking at it, I think it's fine for kids who may not be as critically minded as I'm going to be about this movie right now. As an adult. <laughs> yeah. Kids are not going to really care about plot holes or character development as much as fun songs and interesting visuals. So I'm not trying to say this movie needs to make sense. There are songs. And it doesn't try. There are songs in this. Oh, boy. Okay. So <laughs> I should talk a little bit about what this movie is. So, this is actually kind of like a jukebox musical in the sense that 
so excited. In the sense that <laughs> Harry Nilsson, I don't know if you know who Harry Nilsson is? No. So he is an American songwriter and, and musician who was friends with the Beatles, or at least some of them. Uh-huh. Some of the songs have been in movies like Midnight Cowboy. Mm-hmm. So you've definitely heard his stuff. But he was sort of that same kind of era of, you know, rock, but like folk rock and, you know, trippy, transcendental music in a way. Mm-hmm. And he made an album called The Point, where he told a story through the album, wrote songs that were like part of the story. It was like a, a musical story. And then it was made into an animated film a year later after he released the album. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And in fact, this movie has the distinction of being the first animated special ever to air in prime time on US TV hmm. in 1971 on ABC. And so it has this sort of historical relevance, and it's a really sort of interesting piece of animation. It has the kind of a look, which I'll get into later, that's kind of like Yellow Submarine mm-hmm. meets messier artwork. <laughs> so, yeah, it's hard to describe. And anyway, but I looked this up after I finished watching the movie, and it made everything make a lot more sense. I'm going to share it with you now to give you some context. So I found this quote from Harry Nilsson, which is on the Wikipedia page, which isn't like I was actually doing any real research, but... <laughs> He says about the inspiration for this project was, I was on acid, and I looked at the trees, and I realized that they all came to points, and the little branches came to points, and the houses came to a point. I thought, oh, everything has a point, and if it doesn't, then there's no point to it. Oh, man. Yeah. So this is a literal acid trip that's been made into a a musical story that was turned into an animated show for kids. And publicized on national TV. So that gave me a new appreciation for it because I looked at this and I said, man, this is really trippy. Oh, it's literally an acid trip. That makes a lot of sense. That's like all the Beatles movies. Yeah, it's got that feel to it. Just want to put that out there. That's sort of the context for what this film is. And man, it does not hold back. (laughs) So it opens with a song, as you might expect, over the opening credits. And the lyrics of the song, at least the, the, the first line of the song is... Are you sleeping? Can you hear me? Do you know if I am by your side? Which That's so creepy. <laughs> yes, yes it is. It's so creepy. Like there is a menace to the lyrics in this piece that I don't think is intentional. Like I don't think the lyrics are meant to be kind of creepy. I think when you hear them when the music is so light and fun, they don't really come off as creepy. But when you sit and think about it, man, that sounds terrifying. He's like a stalker. Yeah, that's really, really scary. So it has the opening credits. That song is playing. That song will be re- come back as a refrain. That was actually a single from the album. So it was a fairly popular song. So I guess that's what this I had to lead with. What is it actually about? No, no. This is... I mean, I don't know if it's about anything in particular, because the album is telling the same story. Like, the album itself was telling the story. Like, like Harry Nilsson would narrate this story about the point throughout the album and then put the songs in it. Okay. In the album, it's just Harry Nilsson straight up telling the story to the audience. So they added a framing device of a father who would narrate the story to his son. And this is some great stuff. So initially, the narrator for the initial telecast was Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. (laughs) And he got like 20K to do this, $20,000 to do this for just that one telecast. And they only got the rights to broadcast his voice once. He's in the wrong line of business. Right? (laughs) So for the following three telecasts, they had to get other artists to do the voice since they didn't have the rights to Dustin Hoffman's voice anymore. So they got... (laughs) 
Alan Barsman, and then Alan Thick as the narrator. <laughs> and then finally, for the home video release, they got Ringo Starr to do the voice. <laughs> Quite the combination of people. I know, and that's so great. It's different Dustin Hoffman, Alan Barsman, to Alan Thick, and then finally Ringo Starr. It's so it's so insane because I think Harry Nilsson is friends with Ringo Starr, and he knew he I think he knew Dustin Hoffman or some connection. Like they he ran in those circles, so he managed to get these like friends to do this little project with him. Does this count for <laughs> six crazy. degrees of Kevin Bacon? It counts for everything. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I think that makes it easier now. So this is not like some rink a dink thing where they hired some no names. These are like real names they put into all the different roles. And in fact, they just had the 50th anniversary Blu-ray released last February, Uh February 2020. So I figured this was a really appropriate time to look at this movie again, now that it's available in a high-definition format, which was certainly never made in high-definition in the first place. Sounds like it needs to be in (laughs) high-definition. certainly doesn't hurt. It does make everything a lot more Pink Floyd, laser light show style, I'm sure. (laughs) So anyway, it opens up now with his father putting his son to bed and everything's kind of this weird sketchy style. There's not a lot of detail in everything. In the background, it's all very sort of white void with line art on top of it. And it looks like I said, a messier kind of yellow submarine, which doesn't help if you haven't seen the yellow submarine, but there's only so much I can do to describe this in a visual media, Danielle. I'm sorry. I've seen yellow submarine. We're okay. <laughs> yeah, but our audience may not have. So I'm saying if you haven't seen it in our audience, just Google the point, look at some stills, or even find the video somewhere, some trailers to get a sense of what I'm talking about, because it's very hard to describe this. It's almost also got some sequences that are kind of like Monty Python-esque, where they're trippy and images are coming in and out. So it, it's all over the place anyway <laughs> it's, it's good it's not bad like it's not like it's it, it doesn't look cheap or lazy it looks just very stylized anyway so a kid is going to bed and his mom's like saying okay go to bed and the kid's like okay i'll turn off the tv after i watch my story and go to bed and the dad's like back in my day kids wanted their parents to read to them and imagine i'm saying that in ringo Starr's voice because i'm not going to do an impression <laughs> okay i'll keep it in my head because i don't want to offend the entire you know island of britain and the kid is just saying how much he was like, it's fine. I want to watch the TV. It's my favorite show. The dad just keeps talking over him. Like, no, back in my day, we should watch this. We tell stories. And he goes to a bookshelf and grabs a book. And the son is still like protesting. And the dad just starts reading him a story, just ignoring the kid entirely did, as the kid turns on the TV. Did they have a TV back in the Father's Day? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> like one of those ones that had like two channels. Yeah. And the TV is in the kid's room. So he turns on the TV while he's lying on his bed and his dad starts reading the story. Just like the dad's like, I'm going to read you a story whether you want to hear it or not. And you're just going to listen. And I'm not, I don't care if you're paying attention. This is for me. <laughs> so the father describes this village where everything has a point. Houses, people, roads, everything is pointy. There are arrows everywhere. Everything comes to a point. The house has little pyramids, distended pyramids with points. Everyone's got like cone heads. And the people are generally this kind of orange blobby things with pointed heads (laughs) and really pointy chins. And the main activity of the village, of the city, was making points. So that's what they manufactured. Why? I'm not sure, but everybody was gaga for points. So the village makes points of yes, all, all things? Everything's pointed. Like, the people are naturally pointed heads, and everybody's obsessed with points. Right, but the, the manufacturing of the village is like everything. They just make everything pointy, though. Everything's pointy. And do they send it outside of their village? Do other people Danielle, use points? <laughs> there is nothing outside of this village. This village is a self-contained universe. This is a tiny world. Do they ever, like, reach capacity for buying their own products? 
<laughs> Danielle, I cannot dissect the economics of a fictional pointed town in an acid trip of a movie. It all just right? seems questionable. I'm sorry. Like- I don't know the economic production capacity or the gdp of the point i just it seems very questionable that their their sole income is based on creating the things that only their town uses (laughs) (laughs) it's it's not i mean the good news is everyone loves points so they clearly have an unlimited demand for the stuff is it really unlimited though (laughs) like eventually you can only have so many pointy stop signs or whatever (laughs) No, it's very. It also has like this Dr. Seuss thing where like there's, like there's these big tall towers that are all crooked and things are coming out out of them. So it has a very sort of you know fantastical, whimsical thing to it. Okay, I'm I'm gonna go with it, but I don't. (laughs) (laughs) If you're gonna get hung up on the economics of the point, we're never gonna get through this thing. Well, it's just the first thing I'm hung up on. I'm sure there will be more. (laughs) more. That's what I'm talking about, Danielle. We haven't even gotten to the first song, which is right now. Yes, I'm so excited. Okay, tell me about the song. The first song is just him repeating. This is the town. These are the people. Something like, you know, this is how they wanted it. That's the way it's going to stay. And just basically all these vignettes of the town folk set to him singing, this is the town. These are the people. And again, it's a great little children's song. I think it, you know, kids would like the repetition and it has a nice catchy melody. So that's fine. But the father sort of narrates in between verses. And my favorite part is he talks about the artist colony in the community, as in all communities, did their part to keep minds and souls filled with new points to view. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, all right, Harry Nilsson, artist, really patting artists on the back there, are we? <laughs> well, you know, you gotta stand up for your own people. Go team. Yeah, and the vignette they show is a sculptor, no, a painter who paints a circle on a canvas and rushes it into this giant art academy building to a chorus of boos, and he goes back and paints a triangle on the canvas and rushes it back into a chorus of cheers. Everyone just loves points. That seems sad that people can't, like, draw outside of their <laughs> their one thing they're allowed to draw. Danielle, don't get ahead of the message of this movie. <laughs> I had a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there. So, it's crazy because it's like... If we had round heads, people in our world, like we have oval heads, if if everyone on Earth only loved oval things and hated every other shape, that's what this is like. They literally despise things that are not pointed. Yeah, it seems bad. And also, uh, it would uh, diversify their business if they also liked other shapes. But Danielle, there's no one to sell to. <laughs> well, they're selling to there's themselves. There's no one outside so. <laughs> this void of the point. I mean, there might be. There might be a giant world full of all different shapes of heads, but we are unaware of that fact. <laughs> there's also a quit vignette of a person putting on a Shakespeare play where he says, to be or not to be, that is the point. <laughs> and I think all the six-year-old Shakespeare fans are going to love that. <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> I, think funny. I think for the parents, obviously. So good job. I thought it was a great little line. At one point uh, in the story, there's a kid named Oblio who is born and he has no point. He's also white when every other person in the village is orange uh-huh. and his parents are orange. So I'm not sure if there's a message there. I really hope there isn't. I think it's just really to distinguish him more. But he has a round head, not a pointed head. So initially, his dad's a little embarrassed, and it's this talk of the town. Did you hear about the the kid who was born without a point? That kind of thing. And he is made into a, quote, involuntary instant celebrity because of his pointless head. (laughs) 
the parents, however, are very supportive and they try to put a positive spin on him and they tell him they love him and they give him a pointy hat to wear on top of his head so he'll fit in. Excellent. That solves the problem. It looks kind of like a dunce cap or a wizard's cap. That's how I imagined it. So we're right on. I'm all about it. He also has a dog named Arrow, who is a blue dog with a pointy tail, a pointy nose, and like a jagged, like lightning bolt kind of look to him. And he has his own song. Do all the animals have point-related names? I don't know. There's only one animal that's named. There's only one. Are there other animals in the film? Yes. But that's the only one that has the name Arrow, because I feel like you'd eventually run out of pointy names. (laughs) This one's Arrow. That one's... Uh, stick. <laughs> like, where, where are you going? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I ran out already, Daniel. Help me out here. <laughs> That's why the other ones aren't named, because the writers were Vertex? like, oh, wait. Is that, Vertex is a good name for an animal? <laughs> sure. And we can name uh, an animal d- whatever you want. Really? It's true. No, I don't know about you. Know. He has a dog named Arrow, and there's a song named Me and My Arrow <laughs> that introduces the dog. And I don't know if that's like a pun on me and my shadow or if it's a phrase you'd actually know, but I don't know if that's an actual phrase. I don't think it is. No. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. But I also went to me and my shadow, so. Okay. Yeah. And it's a nice little song and the dog is playing with the kid and they're having fun. So, so far we've introduced pretty much most of the people you need to know. Okay. So then it cuts to a group of children picking teams for a game called Triangle Toss. (laughs) Yeah. Points. And- One of them picks Oblio, so I'm glad the movie didn't do the thing where he's picked last. But there's this one blue kid who's a big jerk. He's like, no, you can't play. You can't have him play because you just have a point. All the other kids are like, why can't he play? So these other kids are like surprisingly supportive of Oblio, which I am in favor of. You said he was blue. The other one was blue. I thought they were all orange. Mm -hmm. Did I miss something? They are. Everyone else is orange except for Oblio, who is white, and this kid who is blue. Interesting. So I think they just sort of use color as a way to highlight characters who are worth paying attention to. Mm -hmm. So it turns out that this blue kid is actually the Count's son, the village Count, who is the thing I guess, I guess most villages have Counts. Count. Ah, ah, ah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The Count is a big jerk. He's described as a tyrant or a really mean, grumpy guy, and he looks kind of like a purple Dr. Robotnik with a big mustache. Uh So... I think this is where Sega got their idea. Do they have like a monarchy system? Where like we'll get to that because there is a king okay. who is not the count, but somehow the count has installed himself as the real power in the village, despite the fact that there is a king who is a very genial and friendly dude. Which is probably why he's letting the count get away with it. Yeah. So the narrator is talking about how apparently his jerkitude rubbed off on his son, who was quote liked but not well liked. Which really, that's most people, I think. <laughs> I would describe myself as liked, but not well-liked, I think, (laughs) to the vast majority of the populace. I think a small group of people like me well, while most people would have very little liking for me, because they have no idea who I am. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've known you too long now. (laughs) I don't know what you're (laughs) like out in the world. in every sense of the word. (laughs) I no longer have any memory of what, what my initial impression was. Or your life before me, Danielle, which was bleak <laughs> was and pointless. Bleak and dark. <laughs> pointless, Danielle. Stick with the, the yes. vocabulary of the show. <laughs> it's very pointless. There we go. So I thought that was really cute to describe him as liked but not well-liked. That just amused me. <laughs> so the game is played is called Triangle Catch. And Oblio and the kid are arguing. And I was like, why can't I play? Because I want to play. I've always played before. And the kid says, well, it's because you don't have a pointy head. And the game is played by tossing the triangle up in the air and then catching it on your pointy head. 
like a weird ring toss. <laughs> so the triangle has a hole in the middle. That seems so dangerous. Like, imagine if if you did that as a human. You're like, I'm going to catch stuff on my head. <laughs> well, it's like catching a frisbee on your head, Danielle. Yeah, but that's not how you play frisbee. It isn't, but it could be. If there was like a donut-shaped frisbee that you could toss and try to get on people's head like a ring toss. Imagine horseshoes with heads. <laughs> I don't think they're made of iron. I think they're made of foam like most children's toys are made of, Danielle. I think they're that. safe. You don't know anything True. about this, this entire- It was the 70s also <laughs> yeah. where things like jarts existed. And playgrounds were much more dangerous. No argument here. So maybe it is, maybe they lose like 12 children a day to that, which is why they have to keep buying replacement pointy things to fill the void. <laughs> I, I'm going to buy that. I'm actually going to – that's what I'm assuming is actually keeping this economy <laughs> afloat. Well, I'm glad we solved the economy of this for you, Danielle. <laughs> the most important question at the point, how do economics work? <laughs> solved. <laughs> so we just arguing with him, why I can't play? And the kid says, you have a pointy head. And we says, well, I play with my dog. My dog is my point. And we do it that way as like a team. And finally, they argue and obi agrees to have an open-ended bet with the kid about – you know, oh, I'll bet you anything that me and Arrow can beat you in this game, which is a bad idea. Never make an open-ended bet, yeah. kids. Everyone out there who's gambling, all you children gambling on your playground games, don't make open-ended bets. Open-ended, just for the children out there, means with like oh, yes, thank you. <laughs> with no actual, like, I'll give you this if you. You, you don't establish <laughs> the, the stakes of the bet before agreeing to. You just say, I'll do whatever you say if I lose. Yes, all the children listening to our podcast, we just wanted to fill you in. I really hope there aren't a lot of children listening to our podcast. <laughs> They're going to be bad idea. unhappy with us. <laughs> so after they agree to this, it cuts to this training montage song it's a tra- where Oblio <laughs> is playing the game with Arrow. He's like training. <laughs> Yeah, it like shows them playing the game and Arrow and him playing and having fun and, and Obio tossing the, the triangle up for Arrow to catch on his nose, which is very pointy. And then it cuts to the Count Sun, who tosses up in the air and then walks forward staring directly into the camera and catches on his own head. And it's very intimidating and does that like same loop of animation like three times. They really wanted to drive the point home. Yeah, they did. <laughs> I think they just needed to fill up the time to get to the end of the song. Drive, this movie drive is the point, Sam. Drive the point. an hour and 14 minutes, I think. So it's not a very long movie. Uh-huh. But it, it packs in a lot of insanity for that, that short amount of time. So after the montage is over, they all line up with the kids cheering them on. And some ref, an adult ref, throws this triangle out into the, you know, across this field. And they all run out to try to catch it on their heads. And Arrow is riding on Oblio's shoulders with his nose sticking up above his head, kind of like a Master Blaster thing from Mad Max. Uh-huh. And it's great. It's like there's some kind of symbiotic thing, and I love it. Okay, I have a question. Okay, please. <laughs> not that I'm not living for the dog head thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why couldn't he just wear a hat like a, a that attaches, like a helmet hat with a point? Because, Danielle, then the dog couldn't play. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I asked. <laughs> Arrow wants to play too, Danielle. And that's a really good question. Why doesn't he have like a prosthetic? Yeah, like exi- or, yeah, like something that just like buckles under his chin that stays on if something gets thrown at it. I don't know why this is so hard for them. They manufacture things for their entire <laughs> living. It is apparently a concept that eludes them, Danielle. I cannot explain it further than that than to say children's story. But again, we're approaching this from an adult perspective. So my answer really is because the dog wants to play and it would be mean to leave him out too. Okay. But then how come – like other children must have pets, so – Well, it's- <laughs> maybe we only see one other dog, which is about to make an appearance. Oh, good. But doesn't have a name, which kind of – No. 
Because what happens is, as Arrow is riding Oblio's head and they're running out to catch it, the Count's son pulls up from behind his back a female dog, <laughs> like a tiny little puppy with a bow tie, and not a bow tie, like a, like, a, like a hair bow. And Pepe Le Pew style, Arrow is totally distracted by this little dog and rushes over to go court it. And Oblio misses a triangle and the Count's son catches it. You know what would solve this problem? A little helmet head thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Danielle, you guess that's one point for helmet, one <laughs> minus one for dog. You win. You made the dog feel bad. I hope Ooh, you're happy. The cat goes wild. <sighs> <laughs> Great. So they're doing best two out of three. So they go back to the start, and the ref throws it again. And the the jerk, the Count's son, who is not given a name, he's just the Count's son, which is why I'm saying it so awkwardly every time. <laughs> I hadn't actually thought about it at all until you said that. Yeah, no, he doesn't have a name. It's just the Count, the Count's son. I think the only person in this entire village who has a name is Oblio. He's the main character. Yeah, but literally everyone else does not have a name. But we're bad with names anyway, so maybe this is good for us. Well, the good news is you have to recap this next time because I would love to see that, but unfortunately (laughs) this is not going to be long enough for two episodes. (laughs) Darn, I was so looking forward to it. (laughs) Maybe I'll make you do it anyway just for fun. Please don't. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so there's a second throw and they're about to catch it. And as they're running, the the jerk, the Count's son, is distracted by a bunch of cheerleaders on the side who are cheering. <laughs> oh, so he's basically like the dog. Is that yeah, what we're exactly. Saying? <laughs> it's a really, it's actually a pretty clever sort of irony about, oh, you distracted the dog with a female dog. Now you're going to be distracted by female, whatever the heck you things are. So <laughs> this is not a dumb movie. It's a clever movie, but it's very weird. And so then... Oblio manages to get Arrow to catch the ring on his nose, so it's one all. Excellent. I was really concerned there for a moment. So the third toss, they run out there, and the Count's son just straight up body tackles <laughs> Oblio, just like crashes into him. And I don't know if the rules of this game are, and he did say at the very beginning, you know, anything goes, but that seems like an extreme measure to me in this largely yeah, like, contactless. Where's the, where's the ref in this? <laughs> Looking the other way. I guess they paid him off. Who knows? But good news is, as he tackles Oblio, Arrow gets tossed up into the air and catches a triangle. So Oblio wins. Yay. And then cuts to the Count's son talking to the Count, and he is incensed. The Count is super mad that his son lost a contest. And before... I should back up for a second, sorry. Before the Count's son leaves, he's like telling Oblio, oh, you're going to get it. Wait until my dad hears about this. I won't forget you, roundhead. (laughs) Wait till my dad hears about how I lost this game. (laughs) Pretty much. And the bet is never capitalized on. Like, Oblio never asks anything for his winning the bet. He just says, hey, let's just forget about this whole thing. And the guy's like, no, I'm going to tell my dad and you'll be in trouble. That's a sad use of an open-ended bet. (laughs) I know. Kids, if you win an open-ended bet, really make them score. Make them pay through the nose. It's <laughs> a good life lesson. <laughs> Parents are going to be like, no, 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 no. Don't listen to the podcast, children. There are many better reasons for children not to listen to our podcast, Danielle, than our bad <laughs> life advice. <laughs> anyway, so the dad, so the count is super ticked off that his son lost. And he's like ranting, I grew you. I cultivated you like a rare flower. Would that it were not true. And he's just chewing the scenery. And I am here for it. Wait, they grew him? I I think he says that like, you know, he raised him. But Are you sure? No. (laughs) 
Because, <laughs> <laughs> no, we haven't established how they're, like, born and raised. <laughs> well, when old Leo's born, it shows them in the hospital bassinets. Like, they show a bunch of the kids in there. So I assume it's in a fairly normal fashion. But you're right. I don't know. Are they then planted and grown? <laughs> It doesn't matter. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, Danielle. It doesn't I matter. Have no, I've left with this movie with more questions than answers. <laughs> That's unfortunate. So. Because I'll have a lot of questions. You know me. The Count is ranting and raving, and he is chewing scenery and going over the top, and it's really great that he's so upset that his son lost a dumb playground game, and- he gets it in his head that Obiel being around makes the kid's secession in question. He's like, I've been training you to rule when I retire, and who's going to follow you that you lost this game? No one respects you anymore with Obiel around. <laughs> it's children's game on the playground. You lost it. You can no longer rule. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly that. And I don't know what the secession rules are in the pointed village, but apparently losing a game of triangle toss when you're a child to a guy with a round head disqualifies you from being an ersatz leader ruling in place of the king who is largely checked out. <laughs> it's a really specific rule. <laughs> I know. It's very specific. But I learned that lesson from this movie. So take that to the bank. <laughs> so the... Count decides to go to the king and say, the law of the land has been violated, and the law is everything and everyone must have a point, which is just a wild law to have. It's an actual law. That's like a <laughs> literal law of the land. Everything and everyone must have a point. Why is that even a law if they're already pointed? Like, you think that it would be implied. The king kind of brings this up, because the king is a sort of affable kind of like, oh, what's going on? old guy who was described as a good-natured, harmless old fellow by the narrator. So Ringo Starr really getting his digs in at royalty. <laughs> and he's like, uh, no, that is a lot, but we've never had to enforce it. So I, I don't really see, like, we had to make a big deal about this. And the Count's like, no, we must convene a tribunal to try Oblio for the crime of not having a point on his head. Well, then how come that artist from earlier who drew the circle was also not brought to court for drawing a circle? To be fair, the artist community rejected his painting out of hand. And he was forced to redo it into a point. Yes, but still, the point stands. Does it, Danielle? <laughs> I mean, no, Does the point sorry. stand? <laughs> it's really hard not to make puns on that. I know. This, this, this movie makes unintentional point puns so great. I kept on writing at this point in my notes and then having to be like, damn it! It was bad. Okay. Well, I don't buy it that this is a law, but I'm willing to go I, with it. Yeah, it is a law. There are lots of stupid laws out there. I don't think it's unreasonable to think that there's stupid laws that exist. I agree with that. Especially ones that like no one's enforced. Like if you look at all those, you know, you can find articles online about dumb state laws from the 1800s, you know, like, oh, no carrying a pig around on Tuesdays or something. <laughs> yes, that well-known Or like no law. swearing on Sundays. <laughs> like those laws that exist and no one ever cares about that aren't really enforceable and has never been enforced. So this is probably one of those, except now for the first time, it's going to be enforced. Dun, dun, dun. For the Count insists on convening a tribunal. The king's like, well, he's a nice kid. Why do we have to do this? And the count's like, no, he's round. It must be done. And apparently the pointed cap is not enough because the king's like, doesn't he wear a pointed hat? Isn't that good enough? And the count's like, no, we must convene a tribunal to banish Oblio. And if he's already decided what the pun is going to be, it seems like the tribunal is 
unnecessary. Like, yeah. it's a foregone conclusion. And the king, doesn't have the king have the rights over the count? To change the to law like, or whatever? Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> uh, so this is, actually, I wrote this in my notes. The king argues, but the count's like, the law is the law. And the king's like, I guess the law is the law. And so my thinking is this must be a constitutional monarchy. Because <laughs> you're like, you're really, like deeply thought about this, <laughs> Danielle. You thought about the economy. I thought about the hierarchy. <laughs> All right, constitutional monarchy. They've got to like vote to change the law. To it count, has and to they're be a constitutional monarchy. That. Otherwise, the king could be like, "No, screw that. I'm the king, and it's good to be the king." But apparently, he doesn't do that. So the king reluctantly agrees to a tribunal. Okay, but he says. Well, really? Where are they sending the poor kid? I mean, he's a kid. Where is he going to go live? It gets insane. I'll get there. Trust me. And you said there's no other lands. Danielle, Danielle, don't get ahead. I promise. All those questions will be answered and they will not make any sense. (laughs) So many questions. So the king increased the tribunal, but the king insists that Elbio won't be railroaded. And I'm like, too late? (laughs) (laughs) So the count is the prosecutor in the case, and he's just crushing it. He's described as an amazing orator, and he's making these speeches about how wonderful the law is, and how important it is to have the law, and how beautiful it is to to keep the points, and how the points give everyone a point. Like, literally (laughs) that kind of talk. That mm-hmm. circular politician talk. And it keeps cutting during his talking to the gallery where people are like talking to each other. And it's like, oh, I guess he's right. He's making good points. And it's like, oh, if we let him stay, soon we'll be overrun by people without points. But they have to like, it's not like they just are coming from nowhere. Like, right. They'd have to be born. It's not like letting one appear is going to make more. <laughs> and I felt that that kind of attitude was sadly relevant to our own discussions today about mm-hmm. things like immigration or rights for people like lgbtq communities so sadly 1971 they were still making jokes about those really asinine and illogical points of view that's lovely i'm glad we've changed in the last 40 50 years (laughs) (laughs) yeah right oh how terrible but this is where it gets really weird so as the count's talking he's talking about being a kid has to be banished he must be sent away that's the law and then he insists the dog, Arrow, is also guilty by association. Then, like, his parents are guilty by association, <laughs> and the kids who put him on a team are <laughs> guilty. You know, he calls the dog a criminal conspirator, and yes, everyone <laughs> would be guilty by association by that logic. And it is the most, it's a dog. You're like, we must punish the dog. He is guilty by association, and he too must be banished. So he's not just evil, he's like super evil. <laughs> he is cartoonishly evil, which is appropriate because it is a cartoon that's true i guess we'll, we'll let it we'll let it pass it's really it's really great and it's still cutting back to the gallery where people are like so what do you think about all this that only it was such a nice point i don't know would you and then so like would you want your daughter to marry him and it's like now nah, you're just baiting me i won't take that bait i'm like what is going on in that gallery what are those people talking about All right, so the Count insists on banishing a freaking child and dog to the pointless forest, Uh which is a forest that apparently is pointless. Now, is there a map at the beginning of this? No, I would kill for a map, Danielle. (laughs) Don't push my buttons, but I would kill for a map of this land. It sounds like something like Phantom Tollbooth kind of thing. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I totally, like, the entire time you've been talking, I've been thinking about Phantom (laughs) Tollbooth. It'd be great. But no, there is no map, and it would probably just be a white void that says village, forest, and nothing else. It'd be great. <laughs> and so it's insane to banish a child to the forest. He's literally a child. He's like eight, nine, maybe ten. It's hard to tell, but he's definitely a child. And banishing him and his dog to a forest 
is bonkers. At least he gets to have his dog with him. <laughs> so Where are the parents during this? They are not part of the scene. They are they're not in the gallery, they're not around. How are they it's like child, how are they not in the courthouse with them? There is nobody who argues against the count. Oh he my literally goodness. presents a prosecutorial case, and there is no counter-argument. And no lawyer for- No defense lawyer, nothing. Just the count makes a speech, and they're like, oh, guess we're done. <laughs> it's a real miscarriage of justice. That's just nonsense. <laughs> Absolutely And I'm like, really, I don't know if I should be offended, because the parents are apparently awful. We'll get <laughs> to that too, because it gets possibly worse. possibly stuck outside the courthouse, they can't come in. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe they were barred. I don't know the truth, but- this is like the first 15 minutes of the movie, Danielle. It goes fast. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yes. It is fast. It goes so fast. It doesn't take time to stop and do anything. Just cut scene, scene, scene with people talking, and it moves quick. Oh, my gosh. I thought we were like, oh, it was done. <laughs> Are you kidding? We haven't even no. gotten to the main point of the story, which is the pointless forest. <laughs> well, I thought we were like halfway through because no. he'd just gotten somewhere else. No, he spends – the majority of this movie is spent in the pointless forest, which very little <laughs> happens. So that part goes very quickly. Well, it really was pointless. <laughs> kind of. Kind of not. Anyway, so the king <laughs> reluctantly agrees to banish Oblio and his dog to the woods. Okay. And – it's just a weird. I just, I just can't go over the fact that they're, that that's their punishment. Not like reform school or something like that. Just nope to the woods with you, boy. <laughs> it's like something out of like a Grimm's fairy tale. Yeah, like they're hoping he dies or something. Cause oh, he's most just we- definitely going to die. <laughs> Yeah, like, why else would you ban a little child in the forest? This is an execution by any other name. <laughs> so they do this. They say, okay. And so Oblio is taken away. The next scene is him and his parents' house, and they're saying goodbye. His mom is like, oh, so here's an undershirt. I know you don't wear them very much, but it's just about that time of year, and, I, and it's, you know, cold out there. So take an undershirt, and I hope you know how distressing this is for us. Dad and mom are telling him how much this is, how sad this is, and they wish there was a way around this. And they're kind of blasé about this. It's like, well, this is very distressing for us, and we're very sad, but, you know, I wish there was a way around this. It's just the way the law works. Why are they not going with him? Good question. I guess because he's being banished, and banishment means you don't get to take your your, your crew Who can with you. stop them? Like, if the parents wanted to just pack up and leave, like, what are they going to do? Stop them at the border? No, you can't go in the pointless forest. <laughs> Yeah, apparently not. I don't know, Daniel, but they just, again, seem totally okay with, I mean, they're sad, but they're not, like, worked up. Like, everyone's emotions in this movie are are strangely muted. Like, Uh Oblio is very passive, and the parents are very passive. They just sort of tell how they're feeling without actually expressing very much in their their voice, except for the Count, who is, you know, (laughs) manically evil. So, that's great. That's depressing. (laughs) It's really good. Poor Oblio. Like, why does he even want to come back? He might as well just stay in the forest. He isn't all that upset. In fact, he later tells how he's kind of excited to go to the forest and explore new things. See, that's that's eight-year-old logic. I totally buy that. (laughs) Right. So, as they're walking out, you know, the father is talking about like, oh, you know, it's a silly law. We should have done something about it a long time ago, but I guess we didn't because they never thought to because it never came up. And they're having that discussion about the law. And they're walking through the town. It cuts to a wide shot. And there's some orange dude who, like, is doing that cartoon tiptoe through the street, carrying two giant bombs, like cartoon bombs. Uh-huh. And I wrote in my notes, I'm sure he'll come back later. He does not. <laughs> he doesn't. He just- <laughs> nope. It's just a funny shot of a dude carrying bombs that is completely irrelevant to anything. 
<laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> I was really like, I'm sure it'll come back later. I wanted to note that down so I can mention it to be sure I told you about it because I'm sure that'd be like something that would come back late. No. It doesn't come back at all. It does not. It doesn't come back. <laughs> no, it's so Who knows great. where the bombs went? What I don't they're know. doing? It's maybe, so weird. maybe this is all a cover for a bomb operation. Like, that's some really terrorist organization. They're like, we gotta get everyone out in the street to pay attention to Ovio so we can execute our plan. Yeah they're, yeah, they're like they pretend like they're making pointed objects. In reality, they're just manufacturing bombs and selling them to other communities. And now this is like some weird oh. like look over here diversion tactic. I thought it was more of like a like a uh, like a gunpowder plot situation where they were this seditious group trying to destroy the ruling class and how to distract everybody with Oblio so they could go blow up the palace or whatever. I'd be down for that plot too. That sounds good. <laughs> okay, well, either way. <laughs> I think that's what's actually happening. You just don't know. It's like after the movie ends, that's what happened. <laughs> I would love that. So as they're walking out, literally crowds have gathered around to support and say goodbye to Oblio. Like, bye, Oblio. We'll miss you. Good luck, Oblio. <laughs> Like the we entire support town. you, but not in actual, yeah. like... <laughs> we're like, we love you, we're sad this is happening, but we're not going to do anything about it, so bye. Good luck, eight-year-old. <laughs> and so they're passing by, and the candy man, like, oh, but yo, here's a candy bar and one for Arrow. And <laughs> like, okay, sure. And then the dad gives him a piece of triangle-shaped money in case he needs some change. To pay for stuff in the pointless forest. I am at a loss as you are, Danielle. <laughs> Isn't there nothing in there? Nothing of this comes back. The money doesn't come back. The candy bars don't come back. None of this is at all relevant. This isn't like Love Cells, where this is his video game inventory of things to use. They're just things that don't come back. They seem so disconnected from reality. Like, here's a candy bar and some money. Good luck in the forest where you will need neither candy bar nor money. Okay, I actually had this thought while watching it. For a movie that's based on an acid trip, everyone seems like they're on pot with how <laughs> like low-key their emotions are. Well, it could be the case, too. Maybe it was both. I would not be surprised. It was that time. <laughs> so as they're leaving, their mom and dad are crying, and the mom makes them promise to write. But how? It's a forest? <laughs> What's he going to do? <laughs> they're like mailboxes in the forest. They're going to use birds. <laughs> nothing makes sense. Like, go write, Oblio. Oh, probably you'll write. And he's like, sure, mom. I'll write. Okay, I'll put it like in a bird, and he'll fly it to you? What the heck? <laughs> oh, God. So as they're walking away, there's another song about him and Arrow going to the woods. And it's a very trippy song. It's probably my favorite song from the entire production. And it's definitely the weirdest. <laughs> and it's called Think About Your Troubles. And I'm just going <laughs> to have to just read my transcription, which may be not entirely accurate, but at least what I heard of the first verse, because it is crazy. So the lyrics are, sit beside the breakfast table, think about your troubles, Pour yourself a cup of tea and think about the bubbles. You can take your teardrops and drop them in a teacup, take them down to the riverside, and throw them over the side to be swept up by a current, to be taken to the ocean, to be eaten by some fishes, who were eaten by some fishes, and swallowed by a whale who grew so old he decomposed. And so you see the imagery of this, like, watercolor style of a whale decomposing and a skeleton and, and remains sort of floating down to the bottom of the ocean where it is continues talking about how like oh the ocean does what it does and it takes the decomposing body and turns it back into water which we then filter and put into our tea circle of life which i am all about but it's like what does it have to do with a kid going to the woods that's well, a circle well, he's gonna decompose <laughs> in the woods <laughs> and it has that it's such a creepy, like, it has such creepy imagery of, of things decomposing in, like, like whales. real time. Whales and some other fishes and stuff. And I think that's great. 
Because I, I believe that all really classic children's movies have some absolute nightmare fuel in them. And whales are definitely a nightmare fuel. <laughs> Not the whale, Danielle, the decomposing <laughs> whale. Don't get your personal phobias in here. There was a whale in a movie that I watched last night and it came up beneath the ice where this guy was like standing in Antarctica and, that, and it came up beneath the ice and I was like watching through my fingers. I was like, <laughs> no! <laughs> oh, Daniel. Our listeners now know about your fear of whales, so that's great. It's a, like a mild concern for whales. I've conquered a lot of it. <laughs> You've done very well. I don't well. like when they come up beneath you unexpectedly. <laughs> I didn't expect them to run into a whale in Antarctica on the ice. Well, I guess that's one place to cross off your list of places to visit. <laughs> Just, if I did that, I'd never go anywhere. Most places have whales. <laughs> Not the land, Danielle. <laughs> They might be in a museum. Whale bones are just as freaky. They have those weird beak things. Okay. Anyway, they do. <laughs> okay. Google some whale you. bones, Sam. I don't think they're freaky. <laughs> I, I believe you. I've seen the whales. I've been to the Museum of Natural History. I don't, I, I don't think they're freaky, more um, so than have, any other skeleton. We have differing opinions, as you know. Oh, I, yes, we absolutely do. <laughs> anyway, there are whales dying, circle of life. He's going to die in the forest. That's but what yeah, you're so I think me. like this movie, this is this movie's nightmare fuel because every movie that's like, you know, the brave little toaster, you know, all your classic like children's movies have some, oh, that was so freaky. I didn't realize how creepy that was as a child. Yeah. Brave little toaster is definitely one of those movies. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, I think I, I'm sure there are others. I just can't think of them at the moment because I'm too obsessed with this movement right now. <laughs> Rockadoodle is pretty weird. Rockadoodle, uh, Page Master, I think maybe had some little yeah, Nemo in Slumberland. Yes. Also a weird one. Yeah, is, I can go on. But I <laughs> yes, I'm sure you could. Because <laughs> I don't want to relitigate all my childhood traumas uh, <laughs> about children's cartoons right now. So it sings this song, and they're going to the woods, and then it cuts back to the dad going, see, I told you this was a great story. And the kid's like, yeah, I guess it's okay. I think the dog looks good. And the dad's like, ah, youth, imagination, the view from the mind's eye. You got a creative head on your shoulders. And the kid's like, huh? And that was my exact thought. Was like, what the heck is this guy talking about? <laughs> he basically said, like, oh, you can imagine things. You can picture things in your head. Like, it's some kind of miracle. I'm like, no, everyone can do that. <laughs> yeah, most people can. And then it just goes right back to the story. So the story resumes with Oblio and Arrow going to the Pointless Forest and then being a little excited. Uh, apparently, no one has ever gone there before. And I can't stress that enough. He's still a child. Crazy that they're doing this to him. Nobody's been in the Pointless Forest. They don't know what's there. Yep, exactly. That's a big point of this movie. Why do yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking, why don't why have they never actually gone outside of their area to Danielle, look through the forest? I don't know. I mean, who lives in like a little confined community and not once has like somebody gone, huh, I wonder if there's anything we could use in the pointless forest. Apparently they have everything they need right at home. They have nonsense laws, pointy art, and pointy manufacturing. Excellent. What else do you need, Danielle? Name one more thing you need in this life. I don't know, but they, they would know if they went into the pointless <laughs> forest. <laughs> like, Danielle, maybe there that, is something there. That would be pointless, Danielle. <laughs> You're funny, funny, funny. <laughs> I'm sorry, Danielle. I feel obligated to make those jokes <laughs> with this movie because it, it got to. Do you? Do yep. You got to? <laughs> yeah, I got to. Got to get my points across. All right. Oh, moving on. <laughs> so... They go to the Pointless Forest. Apparently, he's never gone there before, and he's a child. And they get to the forest and see that all the trees have points, and all the leaves have points. And Obi-Wan's like, oh, 
I thought this was supposed to be pointless. And he's a little <laughs> confused about that. I was too. I was like, wait. <laughs> and so they lament about the thicket being too thick to get through until they find Is that some why arrows. It's called a thicket? <laughs> yes, Danielle. Thank you. <laughs> until they find some arrows that are like nailed to a tree or like just stuck under some trees pointing down a road. So they walk down this road. Wait, wait. If nobody goes in the forest, why are there arrows? There are people living in this forest, Danielle. We're about <gasps> to meet one of them. No way. Which yeah. they would know if they had spies in the forest. This is an ongoing theme. <laughs> what if they <you> spies? <laughs> Look, not everything can be solved with spies, Danielle. This this would, though. They would know there are people in the forest. What, what good would that do then, Danielle? How is that helpful? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the people are like in the forest yet, Sam. Maybe it is helpful. Uh, they're not. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he, he sees arrows in the trees. So he's walking down a road. And suddenly a horror show just literally appears out like a puff of smoke. And this thing is a nightmare. It is a guy with three faces and a giant pink bowler hat. If it was like a bowler hat crossed with a stovepipe hat, it's like giant on his three heads. He's got- like there's stro- one hat on three heads? Yes. Which I was trying to visualize. Okay. <laughs> I, I would, again, I would encourage us to share a picture of this person because- it is impossible for me to do this description justice in my retelling because it is too crazy. But he has striped sleeves and striped pants, like Beetlejuice-style pants, and six legs, but only two arms. And there are arrows coming out of his body, like slots open up in his body and hat and are pointing and coming in and out. And it sounds like clockwork all the time. So like clockwork noises and arrows are moving in and out. And he's pointing his hands like clock hands. And it's, it's absolutely crazy. Sounds creepy. Oblio is utterly unfazed by this nightmare. <laughs> Kid after my own heart. <laughs> he just says, hi. And we ask the man, like, who are you? Is this the pointless forest? So the, the man talks in a round with each face saying one word at a time. And they all have different voices. Oh, it's a choice. choice. <laughs> They're not just saying one word at a time, like one you know phrase at a time. They go in a round. And mm-hmm. Oblio is like, why are you in the pointless forest? You're a pointed man. And the man's like, I'm not a pointed man. I point in every direction at once, which is the same as having no point. <laughs> I mean, sure. Which, okay, I guess. And then he disappears. And so... <laughs> he just, like, disappears. Poof. Just poof. poof. Gone. Uh, okay. <laughs> and Obi-Wan's like, well, that was weird. I want to continue to talk to him. I guess I'm kind of sad that he's gone. Oh, well. Does he come back? Yes, Danielle. He'll come back. Okay. That's the one thing that comes back in this in this movie. Everything else you doesn't. You never know. He is by far the character given the most screen time, aside from Oblio, and the name, the Pointless Man. Or the Pointed Man, I'm sorry. Pointed Man? Pointed Man. I don't know if this is the actual name. He says, don't call me the Pointed Man, because I have no point. But Oblio just refers to him as the Pointed Man. Why doesn't he just call himself the Pointless Man, then? Danielle, please. There's already a Pointless Forest. That'd be redundant. <laughs> I mean, you really, nothing in this movie is redundant. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So they continue on down the road. Obio is really brave because I'd be freaking out if I was alone in the woods and came across that thing and I had no food and nothing to survive with, like no survival skills. But Obio doesn't seem to care. Although the narrator says he starts to feel a bit lonely and scared, which he states outright. And he says, I'm lonely. I wish there was, you know... More people, although I do have you, Arrow. Mm-hmm. And as he's thinking about that, they're assaulted by giant mosquito bee things. That forest is crazy. How come none of this stuff goes into the city? I don't know, Danielle. I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they don't know it's there because no one goes from the from the city to the forest. And therefore, nobody goes from the forest to the city. That's yeah. very... 
Look, cyclical, it, like it, many of the things in this. <laughs> I can't. I don't have answers, Daniela. I'm the, talk to Harry Nilsson. <laughs> Circles and and arrows and points. There we go. Yeah, it all it all it all comes back to the same point, Danielle. Uh-huh. So That's they're attacked by old. these giant mosquito things with giant pointy noses. Bees, I guess. They call them bees, but they look like mosquitoes. And uh-huh. they hide in a log, and the log goes rolling off down a cliff and then smashes the pieces in some rocks. And they get out, and there's a rock man named Rockman standing there. <laughs> I'm glad the descript- or the names in this are so specific. And he talks in this, like, jazz beat, kind of jive-talking Rockman guy. Uh-huh. And he's great. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> Obio asks him, is this still the pointless forest? The rock man's like, there's like nothing pointless about it. Nature and music all around you, man. You've got to chill and relax and enjoy the, the nature, enjoy the forest. And Obio's like, I don't see it. And the rock man is like, you ever see a pterodactyl? And Obio's like, no. And he's like, did you ever want to see one? Obio's like, I guess not. And man says, so there you go. You see what you want to see. So there are a uh, history of dinosaurs in this community. <laughs> in the Rockman community, apparently. <laughs> okay. So it's like an alternate reality. Is this a parallel universe? What is this? <laughs> you know, this is, I don't know. Parallel, it's not a parallel universe. These are not para people. <laughs> they are fictional. This is like Dr. Seuss creatures. They sure. don't They don't need to make sense. <laughs> but they also have Earth's history, apparently. So that's good. I mean, Horton was an elephant. That's Does true. that make Dr. Seuss universe consistent with our own? Maybe. Yes, that's Nietzsche's. Okay. <laughs> Sneetches and beaches. I don't know. I haven't overly thought about whether or not Dr. Seuss was related to Earth. Well, now you can. <laughs> Excellent. You're welcome. <laughs> anyway, so speaking of somebody who has wanted to see a pterodactyl, that does not work. So <laughs> you don't get to see one just because you want to see one. You don't know that. You're in the pointless forest. Anything goes. Like, yes. And so they have this talk, and it goes on back and forth like that, with Obil being like, I don't quite get it, and the man being, just relax, be cool, chill like a rock. Like, the rain on a rock is all cool, man. <laughs> but Obio's like, all right, but you're so round, Mr. Rockman. Is this really the pointless forest? And the Rockman says, you don't have to have a point to have a point. <laughs> and just continues on in this obtuse kind of way about just being steady and like a rock and cool and open your mind, just play it easy. And this is basically the message of the movie, just outlaid for the children to get. Why does he keep thinking he's not in the Voiless Forest? Because things keep having points. So he's just assuming he's, what, on the outskirts of the forest? In the pointed forest? Like he's in the wrong forest? Daniel, he's eight. He's not that bright. He clearly isn't the smartest. He's not the sharpest point in the shed. Oh, gosh. <laughs> You're going to love the ending, by the way. I'm just going to put that up here. The ending is absolute insanity, and I am so excited to share that with you. I'm just going to teaser that a little bit right now. Okay, Rockman, pointed, possibly forest. Right, and so the message is established, and then the rock guy falls asleep, and Obia walks away. <laughs> the end. Basically, this movie is just a bunch of vignettes of Obio moving to like talk to different characters and moving on and just having these little one-off experiences. Sure, like Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, kind of like that. And they're off again when the pointed man reappears. Obio is still unfazed and he says to the pointed man, hey, I met this rock dude. And the pointed man was like, oh, yes. Wasn't it all so delightfully pointless? 
And Obio's like, no, it seems like it had a bit of a point to me. And so obviously the pointed man is the foil to Obio, who tries to paint everything as pointless while Obio sees the point in things. Mm-hmm, because, you know, protagonist. Yes, and he needs to have a foil because there's no antagonist at this point. This is just him having a little adventure, which is fine. You don't need to have an antagonist in a children's movie. That's okay. And we already had one earlier with the Count. Right. Exactly. And then the guy vanishes again. <laughs> Obio is sad about him vanishing because he enjoyed having the company to talk to. And Arrow goes running after a, a sound he hears and almost falls into a literal bottomless pit. And this is one of the parts that was seared into my memory as a child, the bottomless pit song. <laughs> and there was some song about like him peering his bottomless pit and yelling into it. And this freaked me out as a kid. I'm like, oh my, like a bottomless pit goes on forever. I'm like, what would you fell on that? That'd be awful. <laughs> just it was forever. It was like this kind of like nihilistic dread of the pit. Like that scared me more than anything else was that this pit that had no bottom. Like doesn't make any sense. There's there's nothing. It was crazy. No, that's fair. That probably I- says more about me than than anything else because you get your fear of whales and mine is like nothingness. So you know. No, I have a fear of nothingness. So I totally understand. That's my one oh, weird non tangible fear. <laughs> I think I've largely overcome it, but I I don't think I'd like to be near a bottomless pit anyway. I think I'd still be freaked out by that. Well, that's fair. I mean, you'd just fall forever. That'd be awful. Yep. And so there's a song about the bottomless pit, which is basically Oblio yelling into it and words echoing back. And it's trippy. And there's a lot of weird imagery, just like the rest of the songs. Like all the songs have like these weird like music video style to them where they go on these weird images. Like there's a one shot of like a cell division happening. And it's pointless, like the man insists. But they learn something. About cell division? Apparently. And the song goes on. And at one point, the singer just goes... And I love it. It's so good. There's a point in the song where he just does that that sound, and it's great. That's absolutely in line with your usual musical tastes. <laughs> I was going to say, Danielle, I kind of love this music because you know my affection for weird, semi-educational music. <laughs> That's what it is. Sam's affection for uh, weird, semi-educational music knows no bounds, everybody. <laughs> so it was great. The amount of YouTube videos I've seen of weird, <laughs> weird music with educational purposes. Not, they say purposes, just like, oh, yeah, that song is telling about something interesting. That's true. Yes. That's what I think when I listen to those. Not always you think, but, you know, that's your problem, not mine. This is exactly your kind of movie. <laughs> It's great. I kind of love it. It's so weird. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, I just thought I had to highlight that fun noise because, it, because look up these clearly, songs. Like, you can find the album. It's great. Yeah, I'm going to listen to it. I'm very excited about this. I actually bookmarked a few YouTube videos for the uh, music and some of the scenes, and we can definitely share those Yay, okay. on uh, our Twitter or something. I'm so here for this. <laughs> great. So then it cuts to the pointed man sitting in a tree, commenting on Oblio and how he's doggedly pursuing his pointless pursuit. So awesome wordplay. Still love it. <laughs> and then Arrow and Oblio spot him, and they run up to talk to him, and they tell him about the bottomless pit and how it wasn't pointless, like the man insists, because they learned something about not running ahead without looking, I guess. <laughs> yep, that's a valuable life lesson, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the look before you leap kind of thing. And then Arrow starts howling, and he sounds like a three-pack-a-day smoker. It's so good. <laughs> it's like, and I actually practiced that, so thank you. Wait, I missed that. Could you do that again? No, just listen back. <laughs> and it's really good. That's what he sounds like. And he's like, oh, he's hearing something. And he runs off again. So apparently the lesson didn't stick about not running off. <laughs> 
lesson learned, lesson lost. <laughs> Again, I would expect that from an eight-year-old and his puppy dog. <laughs> and at this point, I noticed that Arrow's blue, but his eyes are like light pink, and he totally looks like he's stoned, uh-huh. which I'm not sure was intentional or not. <laughs> But it was very funny to me because after hearing him bark like that, I thought, hmm, okay, that makes kind of sense. <laughs> and so they come across this clearing with a bunch of very round, fat, sort of tomato-looking women who are singing and bouncing and dancing around. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Fantasia <laughs> where like the, with the elephants on ice skates uh-huh. with the ostriches is what it reminded me of. Are they on ice skates? Uh, the, uh, ballet, ballet. I'm sorry, not ice skates, ballet. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I don't know where I got ice skates. I was thinking of ice ballet for some reason. It's don't been ask. a long time since I've seen Fantasia. Yeah, me too. And again, very few things about that movie were seared into my memory, but that was one of them. That's a very weird movie too. Yeah, it is. But at least that's like a visual musical piece. This is kind of like a visual musical piece, but it has like a moral to it. Anyway. So the women are singing and bouncing around, and Oblio observes. They look like they're having fun, and Arrow rushes out, barking at them to like join in, and they all get a little freaked out. And Oblio rushes up, is like, "No, no, no, bad Arrow, careful!" And he's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. He doesn't mean anything. He just wants to play." And the women just start bouncing him, like they they go up, they belly bounce him, and they launch him up into the air, <laughs> and then he lands on the ground. Oblio looks directly into the camera and says, "I really don't understand this at all." And I'm like, "Me too, buddy. Me too." Is that the like? Did they ever have any other wall breaks? Not really. He just looks right in the camera. He's like, I really don't understand this. And I'm like, Obeo, your comedic timing is impeccable. <laughs> it was, I laughed. I did. It was funny. And then the ladies just bounce off. And the pointed man appears and like, see, wasn't that pointless? And Obeo's like, it wasn't pointless. They were having fun and merriment. And then the pointed man vanishes again. He just said he didn't understand it at all. It doesn't mean it was pointless. You can not understand something and still have a point. But you may not know what the point is, though. If you didn't understand it to begin with, how do you know what the point is? He's a very prescient eight-year-old, Danielle. Apparently. He gets it. <laughs> he gets it. He just knows. He knows there's he a deeper it, point. He does. He understands that. All right. All right. We got to keep going. This is, this is taking too long already. <laughs> Oof. All right. So they move on and they come across a talking tree. And the tree's like, get off my leaves that are on the ground. <laughs> and apparently the tree is a fashion designer who makes leaves. Yeah. Or like sells leaves. And he's like, this is my fall collection. Sells leaves to who? Fall collection. I totally get it. Sells leaves to who? <laughs> <laughs> no idea. He is in the leaf business. <laughs> and he has this very brusque kind of like, you know, a cliche businessman way of speaking and use a lot of business jargon. And he goes on and on about the business and how important it is and how the timing's so important because you can't release a fall collection in the spring because no one would want it. And the tree asks Oblio if the world is ready for a tweed leaf. And Oblio's like, I have no clue. <laughs> and the tree says, I'm glad you're honest. That makes you good for this business. Honesty, you can't teach. Like You can teach somebody about making leaves and collections, but you can't teach them honesty. So the tree starts walking away because apparently it can walk as well. And they follow it. And the tree offers Oblio a job in the quote unquote leaf game, which is not explained. I have no idea how this business works. The scene is quite interesting. And Oblio's like, I can't make leaves. And the tree says, it's simple. You just plant your roots. And Obi's like, I don't have any roots. And the tree despairs. Oh, that you could have been great. Obi would have been wonderful. But if you have no roots, I guess that's it. The end. Yeah. <laughs> end of his dream. <laughs> Obi asks him, what's the point to all these leaves? And the tree is like, you fight for everything. You scrape and you fight to get ahead and make something of yourself. And Obi was like, what does that get you? And the tree just walks away. <laughs> 
Figure it out yourself, kid. <laughs> Basically, it's so weird. And the pointed man shows up again. Elvio's like, oh, I saw the tree. And the pointed man's like, wasn't that pointless? And Elvio says, no, because he's making something he liked and is beautiful or something. I don't really remember. But it had a point to Elvio. <laughs> That's good. I saw this yesterday, Danielle, and I'm still having trouble getting it. <laughs> all right. All right. We're almost, almost through the pointed forest. Pointless forest. Sorry. Oh, I get that confused. I mean, there's so many points in the pointless forest. It's understandable. Right? So they continue on, and the narrator goes on and on about how he's learning a lot. And above him, there's this giant bird. It looks like a pterodactyl with feathers. It's horrifying. with a giant pointed beak. So he wanted to see a pterodactyl. And look, he kind of gets to see one. No, no. Obiel never said he wanted to see a pterodactyl. Everybody wants to see a pterodactyl, Sam. Everybody. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. And then the pterodactyl swoops down and snatches Obiel off the ground. Like, in his claws, Obiel and Arrow. Uh-oh. No, no. Obeo is totally okay with this. He of course is he is, because he has no emotional. <laughs> he is, and he's, he's flying around. He, he's looking out the forest, and he observes how the forest is more than just trees. There are tree tops and horizons and hills and meadows. And again, he's being carried by a freaking bird monster, just being like, no, look at that, the forest. It has all these other things that I couldn't see from down there. We already accepted all the other things. Why is this going to be the thing that catches him? And then it cuts back to the dad talking to the kid. And telling his son, see, this is exciting. That bird could mean real trouble. And the son is like, nah, they'll be all right. And they argue. I'm on the kid's side. Elio doesn't seem to mind, so who cares? And the kid's like, the bird won't drop them. It's too big. And the dad says, a bird of what size? And the kid says, didn't you mention it was a huge bird? And the dad starts on this rant about how when I was a kid, my dad would read to me and I'd listened. I listened closely. I didn't go around interpreting things. I didn't jump <laughs> to conclusions. And the kid's like, yeah, okay, dad. Yeah, that's good. Dad just, just misses everything. I'm totally on his side. What is that dad going on about? You don't interpret. Interpreting books is like their whole point. <laughs> that's how the kid gets through school. <laughs> right? And then this dad like, you shouldn't, you should be listening to everything I say literally. I'm like, no, what is with you? You're a bad father. Well, at least a bad storyteller. And so it cuts back to another weird song montage of imagery. There's like a lady dancing. There's some monsters and butterflies. And then at one point, two ducks kiss and then transform into people who are dancing. So there's that. <laughs> it's very trippy. So after that interlude, we're back to the giant bird, which drops him on top of a giant egg that's precariously perched across a point of a mountain. And Elvio is pretty interested in the egg. He thinks the egg is totally pointless since it's all round. And he's like, I wonder, I wonder if this really is totally pointless. And then a beak pokes through the egg. And he's like, oh, look, there's a point. And the <laughs> egg falls apart and this super tiny bird emerges, like smaller than Oblio, which is a good gag. Giant egg, tiny bird. Great. I think like, most things have points somewhere. <laughs> Danielle, the point is what you make of it. Right. So Oblio concludes that even something entirely round has a point, either literally or metaphorically. I didn't quite get what he was getting at, but it's one of those. Probably metaphorically. So Oblio is like talking to the bird and the bird is just like squawking. I think Oblio is sort of interpreting him in his own way and Oblio explains like- <laughs> Like, does he understand the bird? Does he speak no. bird? <laughs> I think the bird's like, is the bird saying what? What? Oh, we're, you know, we're here. Where? We're in the pointless forest. Although it's called the pointless forest, it's full of points. And then the bird asks, and Bobo thinks the bird is asking why. And he's like, why? Well, that's a very hard question. And the mama bird returns and snatches the baby bird away and just like takes off. So I don't know why it picked up Obi in the first place. <laughs> like, why did he pick him up? <laughs> just to give his, give his child a play date. 
<laughs> for the whole 10 seconds they talked. And the appointed man shows up again. And Bill's like, why did the mom take the bird away? We were discussing the why of things, which is a very deep comment for an eight-year-old. And Obio explains he's been thinking. And the appointed man is like, no, thinking is bad. It leads to understanding, which is misery. And you shouldn't be thinking. <laughs> That's not untrue. <laughs> it's not untrue. It's a good lesson. And the appointed man explains he blew it. Now he's thinking and there's no place in the pointless forest for Obio. He has to leave. It's too late. You're you're cycling down. You've got to leave. Pretty much. And then he disappears for the final time. And Obio's like, where did he go? And the pointless man pops his head back into frame to say, I went to the vanishing point to get one more pun in there. But I'm bumped. Do you think that, like, the creatures that vanish, like him or the Cheshire Cat or whatever, do you think they just, like, hang out in some weird, like... Another dimension? Yeah, like, another dimensional space, and then they just, like, occasionally are like, this seems like a good time to pop out. And yeah, they're on the astral plane. <laughs> okay, that's going to be a joke for a very select group of people. <laughs> Just, I'm just wondering about, like, what know, are they maybe. doing with the rest of their time? Either they're invisible and just, like, creeping on everybody. <laughs> Which is even funnier, actually. <laughs> and then Arrow somehow followed the pointed man into the vanishing point. And he hears him barking and pulls him out of the vanishing point, And then they leave the forest. They just walk back out? Yeah. And the narrator describes it as a very full day, which is kind of an understatement. In one day, Obelit was banished, walked through an entire forest, and is heading back home now. And he had to walk back down that mountaintop, right? I guess. It doesn't really show a lot of that. It just sort of cuts to things. Interesting. Yeah. So he decides to go back in. He's banished. What are they like? So Oblio has learned the lesson that what's in your head is more important than the point on top of it, is what the narrator says. He's going to go tell his entire population that? Pretty much that. So then he, he goes to sleep and that stalker song from the beginning about, you know, are you sleeping? Can you hear me? Plays again. Uh -huh. And another weird interlude. I'm just going to keep going because it's fun, but not really relevant to anything that happens. Do you think they're talking about the pointed man because he stays in an alternate dimension? Just <laughs> yeah, <he's laughs> like just constantly watching That's the pointed him. man singing that, watching Oblio. <laughs> Excellent. I'm glad it makes sense now. So when he wakes up, he's under a giant hand-shaped rock that's pointing off like in the distance and it's labeled destination point. <laughs> so, hey, we're almost done. Can you imagine trying to give directions in this area and you're like, no, it's this point over here, destination point. Oh, the and third arrow point, from the top or whatever. <laughs> There's like a million arrows pointing in every direction. It would be chaos. <laughs> so we cut then to the mom and dad. The mom is saying, I miss and worry about him. The dad is like, he's sharp. He's a good kid. He'll be okay. And they argue about it. And the mom is like, challenge the law. And the dad's like, I don't know. I'm, how do I do that? I'm like, wow, dude, it's your freaking son. Yeah, these are terrible parents. You gotta do more than just be like, I guess it's the law. He's sharp. He'll be fine. Good thing Oblio basically raises himself. And then this little freak, like a jester, this little orange, like starfish-shaped jester with a hat of bells or something, pops into frame and is screaming and gibbering, it's Oblio, he's back! And he's like gibbering <laughs> and dancing about. And... Okay, and so they all run outside, and the whole city basically turns out to welcome Oblio back. He's been gone a day, and they're all like, hey, he's the freaking hero. <laughs> Oblio, Oblio, we're so glad you're back. Oh, everyone loves Oblio. Well, if you're the only thing that's ever left the community ever, like even if you're only gone a day, you would be welcomed back as a hero. True. 
And so they all sort of take Obi up on their shoulders and they rush to the palace. And we cut to the king talking to the count who's like, there's a mob. The king is not worried about this mob. And the count's like freaking out. And the king asks him, what does your intelligence agency think? Which, what? And the count <laughs> says, nothing. Yet, they're still trying to infiltrate the crowd. What do they have an intelligence agency for? Right? Apparently that's a thing. <laughs> they have no other, like, cities or anything as far as we know. No, there isn't. Intelligence agency of their village? Do they like, they know what I the villages know. are up to? It's got to be, like, some kind of secret police. This is much more sinister than originally anticipated. This explains the bomb guy. It does. <laughs> Maybe he's part of that. Or or the anarchist. I don't know. I like the anarchist. So the count's like, you know, you gotta send the militia, we gotta break out the break up the mob, we gotta send you know, the guards out or whatever. And the king's like, What? Who what's it all about? And the count's like, Oh, it's Oblio, he's back. And the king's like, Oh, Oblio, that's kinda nice. And he's like, Well, it's great to have that kid. He's such a nice kid. And he insists on letting Oblio have his say. So the count goes out to address the massive mob, which is pretty much everybody in the city who turned out. And the Count calls Oblio an outlaw, he orders him arrested, and the King's like, no, no, let Oblio speak about his time in the Pointless Forest. It's 24 hours there. <laughs> yep, and Oblio explains it's not pointless, there's lots of points. And the Count is having none of this, but the King tells him to shut it, and Oblio explains that, if everything has a point, I must have one too. And the Count is like, no, you don't have a point. And he walks over to Oblio and he knocks the hat off his head, the pointed hat to prove it. But, bum, 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 there's actually a point underneath his head. Like, his head has grown into a point. Just magically. Magically, his head. And then the Count's own head collapses, so it's no longer pointed. Like, we see it fold in on itself and collapse to a round head. Well, it sucks to be him, considering he was just trying to outlaw it. <laughs> Which would be fine, but then everyone else's heads also collapse and lose their point. <laughs> and all the buildings collapse and lose their point. So everything becomes round again. So everything with a physical point is no longer pointed. Except and for. Oblio is the only person who has a point on his head net. So he's still been singled out. Just because he understands that everything has a point. Maybe they all need to go into the forest and have their own coming-of-age story. And the narrator describes it as all the people in the buildings lose their points, and they assume every man has some kind of point, whether it shows or not. So now Leo's the only one with a physical point in his head and is probably still an outcast freak, which is so weird. And it cuts back to the dad finishing the story and he says, the end. And he asks his son to praise the story. Like, it was not a good story. What a great story that was. And it sounds like, yeah, it was good, I guess. And then he quizzes his son about the moral of the story. Like, do you get the moral? What was the moral for the story? And the son's like, it's about not judging things too hardly. Everything has a point if you can't see it. And the dad goes and turns the lights off. And the kid goes to bed and turns off the TV, and that's it. Like the most unenthusiastic child. <laughs> he is completely not into it. And it's the same voice actor who does this kid and Oblio. Oh, really? They have the same exact voice. So it's like a, they're tying them together, which makes sense because Oblio is also completely unimpressed by everything in the story. <laughs> like, whatever. So for this, shut up, Dad. <laughs> Pretty much. And the dad is just so pushy. I'm surprised he took that as an answer at the end of that story, considering he said not to look too deeply into it anything. <laughs> not to interpret things. Yeah. I think he said not to interpret it, but to actually like regurgitate the moral. Yeah, but I mean, that is kind of regurgitation, but it's also interpreting it. No, because he literally said the moral at the end of the story. And he's like, what was the moral I just said? <laughs> just repeats it back. Pretty much, yeah. Hmm, glad the kid got something out of it. Uh, he got out of it that his dad is kind of crazy. <laughs> so that is The Point, the 1971 classic animated feature, The Point. Yeah, it's something. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope you enjoyed that. 
I, I had a lot of fun. It, it's kind of a slow movie. Like, as an adult, I was, I was bored by the long sort of stretches of trippy nonsense. But I think as a kid, they were very entertaining. So I think this is a good kid's movie. Like, it's very unauthentic. It's just weird enough to, like, make the kid pay attention, but not selling them something, at least. It's not like a Transformers or whatever. You heard it here, folks. It's Sam approved. The I don't say approved. I would say that I watched it as a child, and look how I turned. Well, actually, maybe it's a bad example. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> but I know I, I have fond memories of it. It was a fun movie. I mean, it's not a terrible children's movie, and it's a classic. And the music is super weird. And if you like this kind of music, you could at least play it, and your kid would like it too. And it'd be one of those things where it's not like children's music. It's music you and your kid can both listen to without you going insane hearing it for the fiftieth time. Maybe you watch the weirdest stuff as a kid, Danielle. How do you think we got to this podcast in the first place? I know, but. I'm frequently reminded. <laughs> Danielle, you watched some pretty weird stuff too. I did. <laughs> a lot of horror movies that were inappropriate. That's true. So you blame let's my not go casting aspersions. It wasn't just horror movies. It was things like Die Hard when I was, you know, 10 or something. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's awesome. Not weird, but. <laughs> so questions about the economy still, Danielle? No, I'm no. <laughs> like, you don't have answers anyway, so what does it matter? Well, maybe our listeners do. If you have some answers for how the economy of the point works or any of the other ways the society functions or who that bomb guy was, if you can tell me who the bomb guy was, please, you can write us at bookretorts.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at bookretorts. And we'll definitely be sharing some of the music that we can find on yes. our Twitter. So keep an eye out there. Definitely. That's the part I'm most excited about right now. Yeah. So this one, maybe watch it. Maybe watch it with a friend. Or maybe don't. <laughs> What's wrong, Danielle? I don't think that people enjoy it. <laughs> I don't know. If that plot was interesting to you, then definitely watch it. I don't know if there's so much a plot to this movie <laughs> as it's just a series of pretty lights and fun songs with some weird stuff going on. I mean, the plot is like two sentences of plot. <laughs> That's true. I read it earlier. <laughs> the point. With no point. No does point that summary make more sense now, Danielle? <laughs> sure. Totally. Absolutely does. <laughs> well... Not sure what we're going to be doing next time, but I'm sure it'll be just as weird. So until then, bye. Take care. interesting art style yeah right ah the whale is decomposing i told you it was gross <laughs> and now sinking sinking to the bottom of the sea yep and then he has a ghost whale There's ghost. A ghost whale. <laughs> why is there a ghost whale